too. Yeah, I just wish Seattle had a, a basketball team again, but we won't. Yeah. We won't. Okay. We're talking farmers markets, okay. not my broken heart. <laughs> Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right. Welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast, where my guest today is Jordan Bolt. Jordan, your official title is? Technically, I'm the executive director at the Vancouver Farmers Market in Vancouver, Washington. Awesome. So I could joke because your dog's with you, but what, what, what does that mean? What, what, what is your day-to-day duty? How's that? Boy, I wish there was a way to really put that in a nice, neat box. Um, I mean, ultimately I fill the role of an executive director at any nonprofit. So I'm the chief executive of our organization. So I work under, you know, a volunteer board of directors. That's a mix of members of our organization as well as community members at large. Um, and my job is, you know, largely to manage the day-to-day operations of an organization like ours, finance and management and staff and those different details, as well as ensure that we're pursuing our strategic initiatives and doing all those things that nonprofits do. So obviously that's what I do. Practically speaking, we work at a farmer's market that requires, has a totally, you know, physical and sort of ongoing like workload that is under-resourced and over-needed. And so that means that I do all of those jobs and I also take out the trash and I fix our work truck and change the oil and you know, deal with that when's needed. Um, I fixed a window in our office, put new glass in a window in our office on Monday. Um, you know, all these different things. So sort of other duties as assigned is a big part of my job. So when you applied for the job, did they ask you if you knew how to change a tire? I mean, was that, was that, was that part of it? But I'll tell you what, like the most important aspects of being a market manager traditionally, like you can't, don't show up on a job application. Okay. Yeah. So how long have you been doing this job? Been here since 2010. Okay. And how long has Vancouver's farmer market? You actually opened our market in 1990. So it's a pretty long running market. Yeah. So before we hit record, we were, we were talking about this. And so I, I, I'd, I'd love to, well, I'd like to hear it in your words first. Describe for our audience what you think the Vancouver's farmer's market is all about. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun question. Um, and, and no matter, you know, depending on who you ask, you get really different answers about places like this. But in my, in my sense, the market fulfills probably three big key roles in our community that I think are really important. Um in no particular order, right? Like we are a business incubator. So we work with over 200 small businesses. A lot of them are food and farm. We also have an artisan contingent. So local makers, that kind of stuff. Um, and we are focused on their success. We're giving them access to customers, supporting their business, giving them a low cost way to start their business. So we really love entrepreneurs. We love startups. We love people that are sort of pursuing their passions and dreams, especially when they align with sort of what we're working on. We're also really focused on providing a place for our community to gather, um, supporting sort of the placemaking aspect of that, creating an open, safe community space um, that encourages not just like a healthy community, but healthy eating and and supporting of local businesses. And so we see a lot of value in that. And then more and more, our work is um, focused on serving uh, 
I don't want to say at you know sort of at need populations or whatever, but we work a lot with folks who are on food assistance or who are maybe struggling with access to healthy food. Working a lot with those populations, working a lot specifically like maybe non-native English speaking populations who need access to that, and then we also do a lot of advocacy work for like farmers and small businesses locally. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot of lot of legs to the stool that is the farmers market. So it's not just a bunch of stuff for us to go wander through on a Saturday. There's a lot of stuff going on here. That's like yeah, that's like the physical manifestation of the market. And in order to make that happen and be successful long term, you have like an infrastructure behind it that supports it. So. The markets are on Saturdays and I've wandered through one time I wandered through, I was in Vancouver and I wandered through the farmer's market um, unintentionally. I mean, I was there to go look at a coffee shop and I just remember it being like, it was a pretty good sized farmer's market in my opinion. And your website references, you know, a large number of vendors and pre-recording you, you know, but that's not as many stalls as you have on any given day. Yeah, it's kind of a misnomer, right, in the in the farmer's market world. So we're a membership-based organization like you would construct a business association. So those are our okay. members. You know, we're going to have – it's it's changed a little bit with COVID, but we, we we sort of are in the low 200s usually. Our, I think our website does say 250 right now. It's probably dropped off a little bit. But mm-hmm. 200 to 225, 230 um, small businesses make up our membership every wow. year. And that's a combination of these businesses. And um, – they're all they're they're the folks that are attending our markets, mm-hmm. um, and on any given day we have you know this is we're obviously speaking during a, the coronavirus pandemic, and so we have all these lots and lots of regulations around how many spaces you can have and how much you have to space them apart. So we obviously had to take up some real estate to do that, but mm-hmm. we have about 120 spaces currently in the market, and we wow. will. Okay. Well, average, you know, we might have like, we might at the end of the year, like the end of last year, we averaged like, I think like 103 spaces a day over the course of the year. Okay. The peak season, you know, you're midsummer, you're going to see that number full. Outside of the pandemic, under normal circumstances, right? If we ever see those again, we would see <laughs> in the area of like, we have about 160 spaces available. So, That's a lot. Yeah, on any given day. And so, and obviously, you know, we have like that 200 plus vendors, but a lot of them, you know, like raspberry farmers are coming four to six weeks a year. Um, some people only come once a month, that kind of thing mm-hmm. with their schedules. So we have a lot of turnover, um, okay. a lot of variance. Yeah. So just this question just popped into my head. That's beeping you. Here's the bus backing over you now as I back, you know, just kidding. <laughs> Saturday morning. Yeah. What time does the, what time does things get started? And you know, the markets in 9am, right? But our market opens at nine on Saturdays and 10 yeah. on Sundays. Yeah. So 9am, no one just showed up at 8.59 and got started. So how early is it? Walk me through the day, if you will. Yeah. It's a long day. You know, I, um, it really depends on the vendor. Some of them, some of it's based off of their personality. Some people, some people, we, you know, we close our streets at 8.30, you know, to get, okay. get cars off the street because okay. customers will show up early. Um, but we definitely have people who are rolling at 8.25. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, you know, our staff will show up usually between five and five 30 on that morning mm-hmm. to start opening the market. Okay. And there's already going to be a half dozen of vendors or so already at the market. We, they've, they know their spaces. They're all pre-assigned. We have an interactive map so they know where to go and they're all okay. marked on the street. Some of our, especially like food vendors or some of our more serious, like large farm produce vendors, they, their displays will take them f- three, four hours to create. 
And so as a result of that, to sort of set up their tables, to arrange their produce, or if they're like a, a restaurant, like a hot food vendor, they have to get their equipment out and um, get everything ready to go and start prepping things so that at nine o'clock or probably a little bit early, right? Like they're like our hot food vendors will all cook, they'll serve breakfast to other vendors. So all the vendors are coming around at eight, eight thirty to get okay. breakfast from them and make a little money early on. So they, they got to get going early and Huh? You know, it hits, it, it, we don't do, a lot of markets will do this like opening bell. Um, they have these very strict rules, like you can't sell before, you know, you can't sell after. We don't necessarily have that rule. Um, I'm a proponent of these businesses making money whenever and however they can, as long as they do so responsibly. And so we don't want big lines down the street early in the day or whatever. So they've sort of learned how to huh? just open their businesses or a little early if they can and get a full sales day in. So your staff's showing up, say, we'll just arbitrarily say 530. Yeah. And it's over at two, right? Supposedly. Three, three o'clock. Three o'clock. It's over at three. So how long does it take? So on Saturday, Wait. some of your vendors are leaving their stuff overnight, right? Kind yes. of some of that. Yeah, okay. we have security guards that's that staff overnight. Um, okay. And uh, so they don't so they don't have to tear their stuff down. And um, we have a whole new crop of vendors who will show up on Sunday who only do one day. Okay. Um, Saturdays are a pretty popular market, as you know, for farmers market or popular day, excuse me, for mm-hmm. farmers markets. So Portland has I mean, Portland metro area, which we're part of, has, I don't know, 45 markets or 40 markets happening. And probably 25 or 30 of those are happening on a Saturday. Is there that many? Quite a few, yeah. A lot of them small. There's a few, some really good large ones in the area. And then um, what will happen is they're all – but they're, a lot, they're all only one day. And so what will okay. happen is a lot of those vendors who are maybe at a Saturday market in Portland or something will jump to us on a Sunday to get a second okay. sales day in. So anyways, they'll show up on a Sunday. Sundays are much more chill because most people are already set up. they got their tents up. They just have to come and put their products back in their booths. Um, okay. So we start, you know, we start that day around six or seven um, with vendors, you know, just one or two managers on site, not a whole team, because it's quite a bit of work to shut streets down and stuff. And we keep them shut down all weekend. And then we're here till we close the three again on a uh, on a Sunday. And then depending on the day, depending on how many customers we had and how much trash is left over and different things like that, we are there to sort of close it down and we sweep our, you know, we're on a city streets and we are big proponents of leaving the place nicer than we found it. So we do lots of litter runs around the park and apartment buildings nearby and empty people's trash cans and sweep the streets and try to leave, sort of put the market to bed. And we're usually out of there by six or seven on a Sunday night if we're lucky. So it's an intense two days. Yeah. I mean, when I'm, I'm actually, as we were speaking, I'm just, I'm just in the middle of prepping some budget stuff for a finance committee meeting for our board later tonight. And uh-huh. You know, when you look at staff hours, it's, you know, our staff, if they work all weekend, will put in in the area of 20 to 24 hours over the course of two days on just per person. Okay. So half the work week is just those two days. So all these questions are, you know, like you said, yeah. due to the pandemic, it's kind of, yeah. Sure. So what do you consider a normal day of traffic? How many people... I mean, I know you, you can't like get an exact head count, but um, yeah, I'm sure you guys have pretty good metrics. Yeah, so. so we we have a couple of methods we do. We we there's a couple of different ways. There's all these. There's obviously like all kinds of uh, um, there's like data science around how you do crowd counting and tracking this kind of stuff. And there's people that this is what they study. Um, there's a couple of different <laughs> methods you can use. The trick is obviously when you're doing data tracking is just to be consistent in your methodology. And okay. so in this case, we use a system where we. Um, we've done some customer surveys and we need to do some more to kind of see how the pandemic has changed shopper behavior because this will change our methodology. But in general, in the customer surveys we've done, the average customer spends approximately 30 minutes at the market. Um, okay. 
is sort of the obviously some people hear all day, some people hear a few minutes, but we're sort of landing like the 30 ish minute range, which is a nice number. And so that means that every 30 minutes we walk the whole market and we count every person. We have like a track we follow and we count all the people with like a hand clicker in the market. Okay. Um, and then we use those numbers to extrapolate out what our day would be like. And we do that every 30 minutes throughout the day and we find trends and averages. And then we sort of look at our totals. Uh, Pre-pandemic, we were in the range of between, I don't know, seven to 8,000. Sometimes our, our highest day was like 17,000. Um, wow. Mother's day weekend or something would be really crazy. That's per day. Um, wow. we had over 600,000 customers a year coming through our market, um, pre pandemic. Okay. This year between our three, our three markets, we have two, we have two days downtown and we have one in a midweek market in another part of our city. So our total, a total customer counts at all those markets combined in 2021, was nearly two hundred and twenty thousand, so about a third of where I was pre-pandemic. Interestingly, it's still pretty solid. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, vendor sales do not show a similar reduction, which shows which tells us that the number of customers in your market is not a direct correlation to vendor success. Which is a great, which is great for us to understand, because that's a, a metric that everyone wants to talk about, and it's an important metric. Um, how many people come to your market? But when we're in the business of driving vendor sales and supporting local, you know, f- businesses who are really right. interested in like growing their sales and making them successful financially. And it's great to know that we don't have to necessarily drive more people to our market as much as it's important to drive shoppers to your market. So I, I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, this is just, you know, those people that were attending in 2021 were attending to, to buy not because they were, I'm, I'm going to guess masks oh, were required and, you know, oh, yeah. and all, yeah. all of these things. Right. So, yeah, oh, that's that's interesting. So you were off, numbers were off, but sales were relatively stable. That's yeah. that's they that's definitely a- down. I mean, up for some vendors, down for others. The pandemic has done interesting things um, to people's <laughs> buying habits. Of course, yes, um, it's a great time to be a be a protein vendor, like a meat vendor. Um, you can't sell enough meat right now. Um, well, yeah, you can sell all that you have. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, you know, that's, that's been some interesting things to watch by just sort of watch shopper behavior change a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely some people are experiencing much lower years. Um, you know, for our market, 2019 was a banner year for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. it was our highest attendance it was our highest vendor attendance it was the highest customer attendance. It was our best year financially as an organization. And it was, um, many vendors banner years. And so coming off of that, it's like hard to compare, um, the data over the last couple of years is so fragmented, but, uh, you know, when I just, you know, at the end of the day, like we don't, so we don't track sales data, which is something I wish we could do more of at our market, but we definitely have vendors who share their sales data with us. And it's really, really helpful um, mm-hmm. to our management to understand how we can better serve and help our vendors be successful. Okay. Uh, but, but a sort of real, like real, uh, um, unofficial metric is we just track vendor retention. And so we assume that if a vendor's continuing to come back for 30 or 40 days a year, they're not losing money. Um, That's a pretty safe assumption. Yeah. To a point. Right. And so obviously there's going to be up days and down days, but at the end of the day, they continue to, the market is worth their time. There's Mm -hmm. lots of avenues to be selling. There's lots of sales channels right now. And if they're still at the market, which is in many ways, a really hard way to make a living, um, as a food business because of all the setup and the teardown and all the things that have to happen, um, it's clearly worth their time. And so okay. we're encouraged by that. How many people 
does it take to put on, let's just say the, the weekend, the Saturday, Sunday market? How many, you mentioned staff and hours. How many people is work are working during that? 12, 12 staff, um, some oh. of which are full-time. And we have many who just are seasonal, like weekend work. So we have some maintenance folks who just do trash and sort of pick up stuff around the market. We have a couple parking lots that we lease um, that we mm-hmm. will just to secure parking for customers on the weekend that we can control. And um, so we have like high school kids will hire that will sort of work our parking lots and be parking lot attendants, that kind of stuff. But it's about 12 people and probably – between six to eight volunteers in addition to that every weekend that are filling shifts. Okay. Yeah. It's hopefully, it'll reduce a little bit with COVID um, as COVID regulations ease. There was a point where we had to rope off our entire market, which is like over a hundred thousand square feet of space. And we had to rope it off and um, or not hundred thousand, sorry, about 15,000 square feet of space, but Uh, still a big, that's a big lot, space. Of, lot of space, yeah. Two and a half city blocks. And um, we got to rope it all off and control entrances and exits to maintain occupancy in the market and have to count all the customers. So it was really arduous to be policing that and having staff running around because people were ripping down ropes and ducking under things. And, oh, you know, there's just a lot of that. Um, as some of those regulations are easing, we're able to sort of run the market a little more efficiently. Okay. Yeah. What... You said Mother's Day weekend. That makes a lot of sense. Famous, I mean, famous farmer's market day weekend. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you're a flower vendor, that's how you're paying for your year, right? The there. whole year is right there in that weekend. Yeah. yeah. A lot of them will do a month's worth of revenue in a day. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> so earlier on, in, in yeah. I jokingly say Portland's dead to me because it's not in Washington State, but I'll be, you know, that's just tongue in cheek. Sure. But Vancouver's just across the river. So, you know, you are just like your Bellevue to Seattle. I mean, you're just, you can't talk about Vancouver and not talk about Portland, but you said there's approximately 45 markets in the Portland Metro area. Approximately. Yeah. That's what I've, that's the number I've, I've most recent number I've seen. Yeah. What, what do you mean? Like the Metro area? What is that in your opinion? What does that entail? It's pretty big, but for those familiar with the area, it's going to be like, obviously Portland, Vancouver, Beaverton, Hillsboro, Oregon city, Gresham, Okay. Kind of that area. It's um, I don't even know what the population of that is. It's somewhere in the, I want to say two and a half million range or something. I like wouldn't. I don't know, but I wouldn't say you were wrong. Let's put yeah. it that way. It seems reasonable. Yeah. What other markets are there on the Washington side of the of the Columbia? What yeah. is that part of the metro area that we're including too? Totally. Yeah. So we okay. consider ourselves in that area. We're we're definitely considered part of the Portland metro area, even though we're in Washington here. Um, and like I say, I'm looking out my office window at downtown Portland right now. So that's how okay. close it is, right? So, um, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah. So in, in Clark County, there's a number of small markets, smaller markets that are that have been around for a long time that are doing really well. Camas Farmers Market, Camas is an up and coming city on the east side of Clark County. It's a really um, cool area, and they have a great little market. Salmon Creek Farmers Market runs a they both run midweek markets. Okay. Salmon Creek is a neighborhood that's just north of Vancouver. And so it's sort of a, sort of the county, like the unincorporated area, but it's just, it's a, it's a pretty populated area just north of us. Okay. Um, and then like there's a town called Battleground and the town called yep. Ridgefield. They both have had small markets off and on um, that Ridgefield sort of happens with some frequency um, and then our markets. So there's about five or so markets happening on this side of the river okay. that, that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, when you said 45, that was like, wow, that's yeah. a, that's a, I mean, a, you know, Portland, I think 
you know, this is not, I just, this is sort of a spitball in here, but I think sure. I say like the Portland farmer's market system that is like the formal organization, Portland farmer's market, their most famous market is PSU downtown. It's, it's just a phenomenal, large, like nationally known market. It is, but they also run, I think want to say five or six other neighborhood markets during the week and throughout the year. And so they're, they're going to be a five to seven, you know, market organization. Okay. Beaverton market has runs a few markets in Beaverton, you know, and then there's a number of neighborhood markets that are sort of one-offs that have popped up around town. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Is this just, just all this, this conversation just sparks all sorts of questions. Sure. Like is, I want to phrase this so that it's not awkward. Well, I'll yeah. phrase it awkwardly and then you, you help me out. Is, <laughs> is the city of Vancouver good to work with? Yeah. And I mean that in the sense of, cause you're going to be blocking off streets and things like yeah. that. Yeah. How how was that received when you guys you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, you know? no, totally, absolutely. You know, it's a it, yeah. I mean, the city's great to work with. The city is is we're still a relatively small town, um, right? It's like we're still we still sort of function like a small city, even though we're rapidly growing. I don't know if we're the yeah. fastest growing city in the in the state, but we're up there. You're up there, um, and uh, it's it's just especially downtown. Downtown is a really, you know, downtown Vancouver is weird in that it is geographically, it's located as sort of a weird spot in our city. So the city of Vancouver is, is, uh, is sort of narrow and wide. Um, I'm sorry, like short and wide. And so it's not, it's like, uh, I don't want to say it's like seven miles tall or something. If you look at it on the map, but it's like 15 miles wide. And so what's interesting is we, and we sort of go along, we sort of follow the Columbia River, right? Mm-hmm. Vancouver is at the far west end of our city limits, sort of the southwest corner of southwest Washington. Okay. What happens is the majority of the city is north and east of us, significantly to the east of us. And so even though it's our quote unquote city center, it's not the center of our of our formal city. So like it's it's been interesting, right? So like the centers of of um of energy and how energy flows in and in and around our quote unquote city limits has been a little different. And we are on the I-5 corridor. Um downtown is we have two major highways going through 205 and I-5 run through our city and sort of different sides. And so kind of bisect our city in a couple of different ways. But as a result of that, downtown Vancouver for many, many years has not necessarily been a thriving place. Okay. It's been, um, you know, it's gone through like a lot of small downtowns, gone through its urban issues um, and continues to have some new emerging issues um, with like houseless populations and some of that kind of stuff, vandalism, those kind of things. But um, for a long time, downtown Vancouver was predominantly a Monday through Friday city. So businesses and offices, there's this, the county seat, right? So there's the courthouse, there's the sheriff's office, the jail, like all the law offices mm-hmm. and the businesses associated with that city office. So the county has their headquarters downtown, the city has a headquarters downtown. So in the federal buildings downtown, so all the government offices and the legal offices, yeah. Mondays, and, or I'm sorry, Saturdays and Sundays, it was pretty dead down here okay. when I joined and I joined in 2010 coming out of recession, pretty rough time for a city like ours. In the years since, it has really taken off. Our waterfront is is really been developed. A lot of private money is coming in. The restaurant food scene is really taking off. Our downtown association is really thriving. And through all of that, the market was, but the market, especially early on, was coming out of the recession. We were like the only thing downtown. It was really important. Um, the market was actually, this is, this is probably a lot more information than you want, but this is before oh, my just- time, but... We're in, a, we're, we're in a park called Esther Short Park. It's not where the market started. We started east of here a couple blocks. We mm-hmm. moved to Esther Short Park in, I think, 2020. 
okay. uh, 10 years after we were founded. It was part of this big redevelopment. Eshel Short Park is actually a park I grew up in as a kid. It looks totally different now, but it was kind of a rough part of town. It was it was a park that has sort of been taken over by um, sort of some undesirable elements in our community and lots of drug trafficking and stuff happening there or whatever. So they redeveloped it. They, they really cleared a lot of you know, a lot of the brush out, they put some play structures in, they put a big hardscape in, um, Burgerville, mm-hmm. which is a really well-known, like sort of fast food chain here in Southwest Washington and a Washington <laughs> Vancouver based thing. He, yep. uh, the, the founder of that passed away, but he, he had donated a good chunk of money to, um, to build like a square, like a town square here. And so we built props to square and then we built the market, we put the market around it and they built the street for the market. One of our streets, we put power and water in the streets. So vendors could have access to utilities, which is super rare and really, oh. really special for a market like ours. Yeah. Everyone comes to our market, other market managers come and they're like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, it's <laughs> yeah, power. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, yeah. as a result of that, and that was all part of like the police chief, I believe and the mayor at the time who was the mayor was really forward thinking this guy named Royce Pollard. And it was like, a really great way. And I think our police chief at the time sort of said this, like a really great way to combat some of the crime that was happening here. He's like, you don't arrest away this problem. He's like, but a great way to combat this is like moms and strollers because you know, when you sort of shine a light on crime, it sort of shrivels in light. And so he was, you know, they were like, let's activate this park. Let's get this place busy on the weekends when there's art, when there's not business going downtown, hence the farmer's market. And we kind of helped reclaim this part of downtown and sort of, planned our flag and, and sort of the rest is history. Okay. Finish your ta- to finish your conference, to sort of finish your question though. What's interesting though, is we run this interesting situation as we come into 2020 where 2020, 2021 and on, we're seeing significant growth taking place in our community, lots of private development, lots of money coming in, lots of residential, which is new, which brings with it a whole new set of issues and challenges. And so as mm-hmm. our town gets denser, it's harder to shut down streets. People are less inclined to want streets shut down. They're not sure how to drive around the market and all the challenges and the businesses that come down here and the trash and the people and all the things that just that come with a large scale gathering. Right. Um, and so it's a constant conversation. And it's, I wouldn't say it's a constant tension, but it's on everyone's mind. It's like, how do we manage that? Um, the market's pretty important to the city. It was really important during the last recession um, as a business incubator and an activator, like a f- outside safe public space downtown. Mm-hmm. It becomes, it feels markets, I think in general, feel less important during boom times, but they become vitally important during busts. And okay. we, you know, we're really, a, we're also markets, not just us. I think all markets are we're sort of somewhat counter cyclical in our success. And so while when economies are struggling, um, markets can often be thriving. We see, you know, we saw our last recession, we saw a real rise in sort of the by local movement nationally. We saw a real, as people were losing jobs, we see a natural growth in entrepreneurship. We see a natural growth in people sort of being forced out of maybe things, they didn't, positions they don't want to be in and getting to pursue their dreams. We have a number of vendors in our market who are making full-time livings here who lost their jobs in their last recession and took a flyer on a dream and have landed here and have made it really successful. So markets are one of the things that is really important to economic success during a downturn because we support sort of that segment of the population. Excellent. Excellent answer. Kind of long-winded, but I hope no, I, no. See, this is this is. Hope you got some interesting stuff there. No, absolutely. You're, you're. This is just 
great content. It's good. It. And, and like I say, it's, it's, a, it's a hard conversation to have um, with developers and city officials um, because that doesn't always resonate with them um, because yeah. it's not a direct flashy uh, thing like a brand new skyscraper or or whatever. There's this sort of slow constant to markets that's not as sexy as sometimes they want to see during boom times. Um, and okay. that, that's sort of our like, but that's sort of, we're sort of the low, like the, the slow and steady wins the race. Our consistency over the course of 30 plus years is what leads to this long-term community health is, is sort of our stance on it. How do people go about, okay, so walk me through, I want to be a vendor. Yeah. We're I want to sell, right now, so I want to sell my widget, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever let's, I, I love coffee. So I want to sell coffee. Great. I want to sell my my wood-fired coffee roasted coffee. Great. How do I go about cuz I just can't show up on Saturday and no. sell my coffee. No, not at all. Yeah, we have a process for that. Um we're in the middle of this literally as we speak. Um we have we've largely broken our market our market into three categories. This is how we handle it. Other markets do this differently. I don't actually know that I love our system, but it's the system that's been around for a long time. So we're kind of working in it. So what we do is we break our, we break our market into three categories. We have farmers, agriculture based vendors. Those would obviously be agriculture products, but also things like meat, fish, cheese, dairies, all that kind of stuff. Then we have what we call like food vendors. Those could be like a hot food, like someone who's cooking, you know, falafel at the market or pizza or whatever they're doing. Like this, like a small restaurant trying to get started or food truck. And also includes what you call like artisan food or packaged food. So hot sauces, bakeries, coffee, um, things like that. Okay. And then we have a third category for artisans. These are makers, woodworkers, potters, people like that who do sort of like are creators and makers in our community. And we're working to sort of, we're unique. Most markets don't work with them in the farmer's market world, but we do. And so that's sort of something that sets us apart. We okay. have three different categories of vendors and we have three committees that are overseen by staff, board, and other members of our community who sort of volunteer on those three committees. And they're sort of subject matter experts. So on our food committee, we have... A staff member, we have some board members who are also food vendors and have experience in that industry. We also have like some local chefs on that. We have a guy from the local culinary school, oh, wow. a teacher from local culinary school, and they just sort of assess that. And so what happens is we're right now just taking open applications. And so vendors can apply. We usually are applying December through Jan- December and January. Applications are open for the coming year. We shut them off on February 1st. And okay. then you submit your application. You have an online form that you submit that through. And it's called a company called Management Market. Most markets are working with them now in the area. So it's just a, a site that collates this information. They send off their application to us. And then what we do is we look through that. that we can sort of take a first look. And if you are qualified, meaning you are making your product, you're, you're sourcing your product in a way that fits our requirements, you are... Um, uh, you know, you, you're the type of vendor that we want in our market. We have a lot of resellers. We have a lot of people who are trying to get in with like, hey, I import this product. And I want to resell it. Or I have a friend who has a business and stuff. So we don't we don't work with those folks. But So I can't sell iPhone cases. We can sell iPhone cases here. Well, if you were a woodworker who's okay, making your own, that would work. Okay. But you'd have, but to, be not, man, you'd have to be manufacturing it, right? So you'd have to be right. like making it yourself. Um, okay. Pretty strict about that. So okay. you're doing coffee. So we're going to look at your coffee business. We're going to be like, awesome. So Scott... Sources is beans from these people. Obviously, you're not growing them locally. We get that. But you're sourcing your green beans. You're roasting them yourself. You're packaging them yourself. He has his own label. He has all these different kinds of things. Yes, we want to look at him. Our next okay. step is 
we'll have you submit some of your product for testing. In your case, we'd be like, we need some, we need to see a couple pictures to demonstrate that you are actually roasting this. So some pictures of your process. So we actually see what you're processing and then mm-hmm. give us what you want us to, you know, let's look at your menu. And if you're going to say I'm selling cold brew and coffee beans, I'd be great. Give us a sample of your cold brew and give us a bag of coffee beans. And then we will brew them as a group and we'll, we might bring in like a local coffee roaster that we work with or someone else who's neutral and we'll assess your product and we'll, we'll sort of go around the room and we'll go, does this one just meet our qualifications? That's the first thing. Like, is this a quality product? Is this done responsibly? Is this what we want represented? The answer right. is yes. Then we ask the next question, which is great. Do we have room for this person in our market? And so, then that's the conversation we have. And so yeah, go ahead. A couple of questions come out of that. For yeah. Me. Uh, so first off, I, I, you answered like when I joked about the iPhone cases. But so yeah. we're not bringing resellers in that are selling, you know, Portland Trailblazer T-shirts. Exactly. No. Okay. Because you're not a Trailblazers fan, are you? No. Okay, good. I'm not. <laughs> I was actually going to go to their game tonight, but the tickets fell through. So uh, okay. not a Trailblazer. But no, I'm not. Right. Okay. <laughs> Although Do you- the baseball team, I will be a fan of the baseball team. I can allow that. Yeah, I'm a big baseball. I I hope Portland gets a baseball team. I think it'd be great. I I hope Portland. I I'm a baseball. Yeah, I love baseball, and I, <laughs> you know, Tampa Bay is probably going to be available. Yeah, because they turned them down. They won't let them play half their games in Montreal. So yeah, I, I think unfortunately, I think Tampa Bay might you might get the the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, I think we'll take what we can get, right? And then you can start building that team there. You know, make it your own. I think it'd be great. Yeah, me too. You know, I just wish Seattle had a, a basketball team again. But we won't. Yeah. We won't. We're talking farmers markets, not my broken heart. So, is there? Um, are there guy in the sense of guidelines? I mean, mm. how many? Co- let, let's you know how many coffee uh, companies can you have? Those kind yeah. of things. So this is where the science and the art of a farmers market sort of um, intersect. Yeah, this is your intersection here, and so okay. You know, I don't believe this is Jordan's perspective on this. And as executive director, I get to kind of like cast this vision a little bit for the organization. But um, I inherently am a capitalist and don't believe that um, that people should have necessarily exclusivity um, to a specific okay. product. Um, so just because we have, and we are used to be, that was a big part of farmer's markets for a long time. Like our board was all vendors. And so they'd be like, I'm the coffee vendor. So no one else can sell coffee here. Gotcha. And, you know, that might be okay if your product is awesome and you can actually serve every customer widely and provide a really good representation and you're always at the market. But what happens is that doesn't happen, right? So that that guy decides not to come to the market or he decides to sort of take every weekend off, every other weekend off, and which is totally fine. You got to have a life. You got to you got to run sure. your business. So I'm not going to tell you, you tell you how to run your business. But what the, that means is that our shoppers don't get to coffee. They don't get coffee except unless you're there, you know, and, you know, to allow one vendor to control that for their, our entire thing. Cause that's at that point it affects the market because it's a customer experience. And so we want to make sure we have a well-rounded, good shopping experience. Also, and vendors don't like to hear this, but the very fact of the matter is having a little healthy competition in the market is good for everyone. It's not, I'm not trying to make them compete hard with each other, but it, it keeps you on your toes. And there are vendors who've been here for many, many years. and They're great. There's also vendors who've been here for a long time and have kind of been sometimes will find themselves lulled into a bit of complacency. Mm-hmm. And it's great to not to shake them up. And I'm not trying to hurt their business, but it's great for people to always sort of be required to sort of think about ways to stay fresh and stay relevant to their customer base. 
And honestly, it keeps customers coming back to have new stuff. If you see the same thing every time in the same place every weekend, the market becomes a little stale. And so for all those reasons, there it needs to be, I'm a big fan of some gradual turnover over time. As vendors retire, we move on. We have many vendors who've gone on. We have vendors who've been coffee vendors who've gone on to open their own coffee shops and mm-hmm. open their own tea shops and open their own restaurants and whatever right. else. And we celebrate that. We call that graduating from the market. We're like, great, you shouldn't be here forever. This is a launch pad. Spread your wings and fly on to bigger and better things. And we'll bring in your, the next one of you and we'll give mm-hmm. them the chance to do that in a couple of years as well. And so um, it's a bit of a, a philosophical discussion, um, but you also don't want six coffee vendors, right? So right now we have, right. we have, we have two okay. um, at the market and that seems to be a really good number. Um, yep. oftentimes what we'll do, so you'd be a perfect example. Let's just, we'll continue your coffee example. You mm-hmm. want to show up and do coffee. We're up on Saturday, Sunday and coffee vendors, Always are like, we want to do both days all the time, which is great. But what we'll just be is like, listen, we already got a guy here on Saturdays. How about you, how about you do Sundays? And that's just the conversation we have. Mm-hmm. And you start doing Sundays and you start filling on those off days and we go from there. So there's right. some ways to sort of navigate that. Well, and I, and I, I love the fact that you said, you know, graduate from the market. And I, I would like to come back to that in a little bit. Yeah. But so you have the application process and, and here's where. You know, it's not an exact science that you're going to have one coffee company for every 30 booths. Let's just, you know, arbitrarily. And I agree with you about the healthy competition because not now what I'm about to say is the polar opposite of a farmer's market. But when you look at any major intersection in a city where you see a fast food place on every corner, the reason they're there is because people know that they can go and get fast food there. They might want brand X today and brand Y next week. So, but that's good. So having, having in our example, a couple of coffee places, I think that is good. Yeah. And it's also, you know, we'll use our coffee vendors right now as an example, Um, not to speak, not that one's any better than the other, but they're different. You know, they actually do two different roasting techniques Okay. Coffee nerds out there. And so there's different styles of roasts. Yes, there is. They source <laughs> differently. And as a result of that, one of them is a much higher price point. It's a more premium, like single origin style coffee. And then others mm-hmm. a more, I want to call it generic, but it's a more, a little more approachable, like coffee you would have. And as a result, as a result of that, he has turned his business because he has a better price point into serving like local offices who he'll sell them two pound bags or three pound bags of coffee. He'll do service at their, he'll bring coffee to their offices. He's built a whole industry around that, which is great for him. The other people who are selling them, you know, coffee at twice the price per pound. Um, but it's a more single origin, like source coffee is serving a clientele that's looking for that specific type of coffee. And the fact of the matter is those customers don't necessarily cross paths. No, they don't. That's fine. That's just, just, just like, um, you know, flower vendors that have different types of flowers, you know, all that. So now I'm going to ask some questions that, you know, just because I'm just curious. Okay. So these, so putting you on the spot. Yeah. Try not to put you on the spot, but put you on the spot. Give me an example of Jordan's vendors that you had, you admire at the market. Like, I'm not asking for specific Mm -hmm. names like Bill, Bill's beans, but who, who in that market? Yeah. Do you, like you don't buy every, you, you, you don't hmm. shop all 120 booths, right? So not necessarily. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you were going to the market and let's say for sake of conversation, because depending on when somebody listens to this, the market actually might be firing on every Saturday right now. It's not, but if you were to go on the market on Saturday, what would you be looking at? Yeah. So I do make, I do try, I do try to make an effort to buy something from a lot of our vendors. Um, But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of things that are being sold that are not marketed toward or targeted towards me. Um, Right. But, you know, so there's like lots of like bath and body products and, um, you know, artisan stuff that I'm not necessarily into. Um, Mm -hmm. But I definitely have probably bought and consumed everything that our food vendors sell. I'm a big food and I'm a big, and I'm really into cooking. And so, you know, I'm a big fan of those things. I'm also, I also really find myself supporting for through, I don't think this is, I mean, it's not necessarily overtly a decision of mine, but I think it's, this is the interesting thing about business. I really find myself supporting the vendors that have really like are doing a good job. Um, not because okay. all vendors don't do a good job, but there's just vendors who like work a little, who have really figured out like how to market it. And it's just like how to market their product, how to, how to sell that product. And then, you know, for my case, I have personal relationships. I've been here, you know, for 12 years now. So I have personal relationships right. with a lot of these farmers. I've been there since they started, you know, we have a, we have a, a new, um, not new, they've been in the market just a few years though. Um, a beef vendor I mentioned, um, and the, it's a husband and wife team. Um, he actually, I've actually, it's funny. I actually knew his family kind of of their family growing up where I grew up in a small town east of here, but they were a dairy family kind of getting out of the dairy business. And he was a, he had a full-time job, his professional job. His wife has a full-time professional job, but his passion was raising animals and being a responsible farmer. And, um, so he started doing a part-time as a result of the market coming every day, building a clientele over time, being great at customer service, and having a great product, he he had a really good job. So he was a you know an industrial job, traveled the country, and he quit his job, quit his full time job, and he's a full time farmer now. And it's really fun to watch that happen. And so I really have this like vested interest in this guy, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm gonna yeah. buy beef from this guy, even though I don't sure. need much beef, because I want to support the fact that this guy was able to quit his corporate job, his professional job, and like become a full time farmer and support his family that way. We have a number of people who've done that. And I just think that's really great. Um, we also have people who just, this is something that I think people who shop in grocery stores are missing out on is you really get like some really niche or niche, like specialist, like people who are real experts at certain things. And it's really mm-hmm. fun to do that. So we'll have like a cranberry vendor who like owns a cranberry bog and you know, that's all <laughs> he does. And you kind of get these great cranberries. We have, um, an amazing family owned lamb farmer here. And they're just really responsible, super hardworking family. I love to buy from them, some great farmers. And then we obviously have lots of fun, you know, right now everyone's selling hot sauce, so lots of fun hot sauces and bakeries and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I spend so much money, Scott, at the farmer's market. It's just, it's just disgusting, but <laughs> I will say, and I can say this with confidence, like um, there's definitely some things we don't have in our market that I'd love to have that a lot of markets don't have like milk um or like good cheeses it's just just the industry that's not just our market that's just the industry in general that's a really hard industry right now has been for forever mm-hmm. um right both from a regulatory and financial perspective and so we're just not we're seeing less and less of them at markets which is a challenge but um okay so you'll find me going to the grocery store to get like a gallon of milk um and to maybe buy some nice cheese on occasion right You'd rather do it from the market. I'd rather, totally rather do it from the market. That's about it. So like the conversation we'll have for the, at the market, which is funny, is we'll be sitting there and be like, someone will be like, oh, I went to went to the grocery store last night. And it was kind of weird because I hadn't been there in two months. And um, 
that's just kind of that's like the big perk like the everyone whenever you hire people they're like what's what's the biggest perk of work like what's the best thing about working for a farmer's market and we're like you get a grocery shop while you're at work <laughs> like <laughs> you, have to to, you have to go to a grocery store so it's great and you eat really, i love really that well. you eat really really well so many of the questions i want to ask aren't to like like have you single something out but I'm going to, I'm going to paint a picture. I'm going to show up uh, Saturday morning and you're going to, you're going to spend some time with me, showing me around the market. And I forgot to grab something to eat. So first thing in the morning, what should I be trying at at the Vancouver's farmer's market? Is there, is there something there that I should check out or was there something? I mean, you know, you know, um, yeah, I mean, well, there's a couple options, but I usually run to one of our bakeries and grab like a nice healthy cinnamon roll or scone or something. Um, okay. that's my that and a cup of coffee is my like uh, that's my market breakfast okay. that I can like roll around the market with and kind of navigate. We okay. also have like we have a few folks that do like smoothies and that kind of stuff in the morning. You know, some juice vendors that kind of stuff. They're using local food, which is great. So you get a high okay. product there, but. I don't tend to go the healthy route as much as I should. And I like a nice cup of black coffee and like a scone and I'm, 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 You're good. I'm ready to run the market. All right. So now it's fast, fast yeah. forward. It's lunchtime. What, what should, what should I be trying mm-hmm. at the market? Mm-hmm. This is you a really what? interesting discussion. So we have a lot of good hot food at the market. Um, especially in the last couple of years we've added, uh, we have like a new vendor who's Laotian. So, it's very it's it's slightly different, but definitely different than Vietnamese food, um, okay. Thai food. So it's like this now this third category that you don't see a lot of, and yeah. um, unless you're like maybe in Seattle or parts of Portland that have specific restaurants that you seek out. But she's like, fam- she has like her fa- her like family's recipes from like their village and like the like the mountains of Laos, and so wow. really unique, fun food um, that is just amazing. Um, okay. We have a new vendor who's Egyptian, so she does all Egyptian stews and like all kinds of crazy stuff um, that's really okay. really fun. So there's some fun ethnic, like really like authentic foods that are coming from people that are like first generation, like from those countries, and are bringing wow. their recipes here. We really love to see that. So we also have a great Taiwanese vendor at the market, is Taiwanese street food, um, which is again totally different. Um, so I really yeah. am like. I'm like, there's a really fun chance to sort of try some of the unique food at the market. But, I can tell you, I can tell you, I mean, look at me. Yeah. I, it's obvious I don't miss meals. Yeah. Right. That's yeah, great. But I have never eaten Loatian, Egyptian, or Taiwanese. Oh, oh mm, Taiwanese maybe. Food, but, yeah. but, you know, no, I would never have, I've never tried those before. So that's, that it sounds amazing. It's become one of my real favorites. It's a really so why? I mean, this is not now we're going off the farmer's totally. market, but well, what is it about it that you like? Well, so there's two things I like about this vendor's product. One is they're brand new, they got a great story. They lost their home in one of the fires in Southern Oregon last year and oh. lost everything and took the insurance money and instead of rebuilding, decided to move to Vancouver and pursue their dream of starting a, starting a food business with her family's oh. recipes. And so they're trying, struggling, working hard to be young entrepreneurs. And it's really great to see that The thing I really love about that. So I like that story and I want to support that. Sure. Also, they're just very passionate and like the spices and the seasonings are things that you don't normally, you won't find in most food. And I didn't realize that until I'd had it. Um, so it's just really fun. I think it's hype. It's just hyper flavorful and bright and spicy and 
So it's got, does it have heat to it then? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. they've done a good job of like offering levels for people. <laughs> like, you know, you have to be kind of like careful <laughs> with that, but like, I mean, it's got a little kick to it and you can definitely make it a little spicier if you want. And I, it's just really flavorful stuff. You know, I, okay. um, yeah, it's like, I have this debate. We have like hot sauce is really big right now. And I'm like, like, I don't mind spicy food, but I'm not like, a, I'm not like one of those guys who's like, let's see if I can burn my face off right now. Like I'm not one of those guys, but I do appreciate that in specifically in some of like the Asian food that we get at the markets in that culture, like there is a combination of like, it's not just hot, but it's deep and flavorful. So there's just, it's really robust. Again, we get this similarly with like the Egyptian food, which would be really, I mean, the more popular thing you've probably seen over here would be like Moroccan food. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's going to be really, it's going to look really similar to that in many ways. Of course they would say like, it's not similar at all, but it, but I mean, there's going to be some semblances there and similar Warm spices, um, okay. really savory potato and beef and chicken and, you know, cardamom and cinnamon and clove and all those sort of like fun spices. It's a, it's, it's pretty cool. So you don't all see, right. I don't see that food anywhere else in our community really. Um, and it's great, um, to see that it's actually been a problem. I mean, just to go off topic a little bit, but like we've had, um, not to speak, ill but like in the past and even still we still will have some more i guess what you would call like somewhat at times somewhat more traditional asian food you'll see it somewhat americanized mm-hmm. um and understandably that's a comfortable thing it's what you'll see at most restaurants that you would right. go to as an american um but i've noticed that those vendors like the flower vendors who are largely um Hmong, um which is a group from um, southeast asia and it's so where they're sort of where they're where they herald from, and like them and some of our vendors would um, would be sort of work have their own menus, right? Like the secret menus. Oh, gotcha. And that's yeah. the food we all wanted. We'd see this food and we'd be like, "Where's this food coming from?" And we try to buy it, and they'd be like, "No, we don't. What are you talking about? We don't sell you that food." And so it's like, <laughs> but they'd be walking out these bowls of curry and these different soups and sam and like rolls and sandwiches, and I'm just like, "What in the world is this? It's, I've got to have some of this." And they're like, oh, Americans don't want this. White people don't eat this food. And I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. They do. And it's actually been really hard to convince them to sort of cook the food that they would cook for their families mm-hmm. with the recognition that actually that would, is exactly what we want to see in our market. We want you to cook authentic food that's real to you. Not We don't want you to sell what you think people want to buy. We want you, people want to buy what you want to sell. It's sort of just the opposite here at a farmer's market. People want that experience. So to have some folks beginning to show up who are cooking and selling the stuff that they would eat as a family – that they would eat for themselves is, is a really, is a real fun change to some of the food in the market. So, uh, lots of good options for that. And then honestly, what happens, you have a couple of industry things like hummus or whatever at the market, those types of dips do a really good job. That's a pretty common lunch for our staff because we're often on the go. Right. We'll right. Grab a thing of hummus. We'll swing by one of our farmers, grab some fresh produce, grab some fresh radishes and some fresh carrots, whatever, go in our office, wash them up really quick and then have ourselves a snack. And that's what we'll be eating. The perks of the job sound pretty good. Pretty man. great. I got to yeah. say. I got to say. You eat a lot. Yeah. You find a gotta lot of say. food. You get a lot of, lot of recipe testing, which is really fun. Vendors who are trying new products going, I don't know if this will work. Why don't you, why don't you guys give this a shot? And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but that's cool. That's part of it. That's part of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at your vendor scholarship. Mm-hmm. Elaborate on that for me. Yeah, so um, we started a foundation a couple of years ago called the Vancouver Farmers Circle Foundation. It's a separate nonprofit that exists to support um, food access work, which we should talk about a little bit before we go here, and then also okay. vendor development. And so on the vendor side, 
we have a scholarship program. It really came into its own during COVID. We were able to move, I'm something here, like $40,000 through that organization to vendors directly. Um, Cause we had down here, we had COVID the, well, we had COVID all year, but it really hit hard the early part of the year. And then we had fires. And so a lot of vendors, like we had a couple of vendors lose some properties. We definitely had a lot of smoke damage and produce was, you know, some animals suffered from that. And Produce was tainted as a result of that. And so we were able to do COVID relief grants and fire relief grants and rebuilding efforts oh. for vendors. Okay. We were able to sort of address like natural disasters or things that happen that maybe get in the way of vendors. You know, we've had, we had a big windstorm come through a couple of years ago and take out a whole vendor's series of greenhouses, which is thousands of dollars. And we were oh, able to, yeah. to drop a couple grand on that vendor to help him get his greenhouses back up and running and um, oh. sooner and just kind of support them in that way. So we really want to be supporting of them in that way. We also want vendors to continue developing as a business and we want them to have access to resources. So we do a lot of work with like local biz, like SCORE and the small business development centers, the SBA, Clark College here, these kind of things to help align them with mentors, to help them grow their business. And also we just do things like send them to conferences or pay for them to get organic certification um, oh, wow. and little things we can do to help. Um, Sometimes it's, I mean, it's literally like a thousand dollars will completely change this vendor's business. You know, for 500 to a thousand dollars, they can get a product they, that will help them get over the hump of getting their product organically certified, which will allow them to charge a slightly higher price or to get a more premium or to get their product into a restaurant or whatever the case may be. And, mm-hmm. um, if we can help them do that, then hopefully that endears them to our market and helps them be more successful here, which is at the end of the day, that's our goal is to make them more successful. Well, that's, that's great that you're investing in your, in your partners i mean they you know without without 120 merchants on any given saturday um your market's not as vibrant this is helping that's that's fabulous you mentioned access what did did you want to yeah so on the food access side which is just you know we're all familiar with uh so we there's a snap program which is called the supplemental nutrition assistance program um more commonly i think um people uh, would know that as like food stamps is what that used to be called mm-hmm. a similar program. It now comes on a card that people can swipe and it works like a debit card and they get money put on there by the state and they can use it for different things. They can redeem mm-hmm. them for food benefits here at the market. So they get them, they run them, get these tokens that they can then go and shop the market with like a currency and vendors return oh. it to us to redeem it. So it's a way for folks because individual vendors to get certified, to accept snap cards, to have, oh. there's obviously a high level of security. You have to go through all the compliance efforts to do that. It's not, it's not like you can just, it's not like running a credit card. So okay. the result of that, we hold the license, we process all the snap transactions, and then we reimburse the vendors for them. And so we have a system to do that. And then last year, through a sort of a large grant, the state statewide, we were able to offer a matching program. So we matched up to $40, dollar for dollar, with additional funds for fruits and vegetables. Wow. So we have these vouchers, these pictures of different products on them, and they can use Snap is good for, hopefully I get this right, because it's kind of a for, official thing. But like Snap is essentially what you'd use in a grocery store. So you can't buy like hot food with it. You can't, you know, that kind of thing. You can't go buy beer or whatever with it, I don't think. But like right. you can buy, you buy any like main grocery item, obviously produce. So- Bread. So we say staples, staples staple items, like if you will. Yeah, okay. But you can also do things like bread and cheese and and um, milk and meat and that kind of stuff. And then we offer this voucher that is good for fruits and vegetables, herbs, things like that. So um, we match dollar for dollar up to $40. And, um, you know, and then we also do – so we do that. We also participate in a program called the Farmer's Market Nutrition Program, which is um, – 
and senior, it's called senior FMNP. And what it is, is through a federal program, but seniors will get these vouchers, these checks that they spend like cash in the market with farmers, mm-hmm. Washington State farmers. Um, and then we do a couple of other things, but like total last year was over $300,000 in food assistance moved through our market. That's, uh, that's awesome. Which is pretty big that's- and over 3,000 customers um, in that category shopped at our market last year. So um, that's, we do a lot of that. We, we rolled out a new program last year um, called Market Tours, where someone from our local extension office with WSU Extension and someone from the local school district who we hire, who's like a native speaker of a language. We are right now we're doing tours in English, Spanish, and Russian. They, a nutritionist and an educator, and one of these folks who's, a, who's also an educator who speaks the language meets with these clients, and then we tour them through the market, meet, introduce them to farmers in their native language, explain products to them, show them how to shop teach them how to use their benefits to the market. And then we do like a, ch- a challenge with them where they have to maybe give them free tokens and they have to go shop and then come back and share what they bought. And the nutritionist helps them come up with the recipes for the family. And then oh. we can, they can come back multiple times and get free tokens to continue shopping at the market as a family. And that's, that's fantastic. And so we do lots of programs like that to sort of provide, not just, obviously it's good because our farmers are getting more sales and getting access to those customers, but then, you know, we're ma- trying to do what we can to make sure the market is accessible to all levels of people. That's that's fantastic. On your main page, and like I told you before we hit record, um, I'm on my iPad. Yeah. I'm noticing, so two things, and, I, and I'm afraid to click on it because I'm afraid it'll take me off, but there's an order online for curbside pickup. Yeah. And there's the order your market box subscription. Yeah. So during- They both sound really obvious, but- Help me out. Yeah, so during COVID, we got shut down by the city. Um, we COVID officially, like the official date of like our stay-at-home order was the, our opening day of the market. And so the city wow. shut us down and it was really hard to get reopened. Everyone, as you probably remember in early 2020, no one knew what was going on. Everyone was right. freaking out. It, yeah. it was, it's it's not for, <laughs> it's probably not the best topic for this conversation, but like it was a pretty rough time for our market where yes. we, the city yeah. was just kind of like, you can't be here. You can't do this. And in the meantime, grocery stores are running out of products. And I'm going, we have farmers who are just like throwing product away right now who can't sell it anywhere. And so we finally found a way we worked to get open. But in the meantime, we launched an online market. We ramped up our staff pivoted. We started an online sales channel where vendors would drop off product to us. We would repackage it. People would buy it online and we'd repackage it and, and they'd come to the market and we'd drop it at their cars. And they just use oh, drive wow. through where we drop it off. And we kept that going for the last two years. I'm not sure that we'll be doing it this coming year for that program. As mm-hmm. more and more people are shopping at the market, it's becoming less and less um, needed. Although I continue to sort of see like opportunity in helping vendors move online as much as possible just to increase their exposure. So sure. that's the online sure. sales curbside pickup. And every Sunday what happens is we put a walk-in cooler in our office, like in our basement. We put in a bunch of refrigerators and we have a whole. St- we hired up people to do this, and we have a big production line where we fill up boxes of food, and then people come and they give us their name and order number, and we run it out to them and drop it off at their car and move a lot of products to them through there that way. About a hundred thousand dollars in sales last year for for farms at that. I think that's awesome. It's great. It, it you know it, it doesn't pay for itself, but it's a really great service and it's an interesting thing. The Market Box program is a really fun new program that we're we got a grant to do. And it's like a CSA. Are you familiar with the CSA model, which is where customers sort of pay for a subscription? Community Mm -hmm. agriculture is what it stands for. At a local farm, you pay up front for the year, and then you get a weekly allotment. That's that way, but through the farmer's market. So you can pay for a share, either 10 or a 20-week share, and Mm -hmm. large or small, depending on your needs. And we have some add-on options like, you know, 
eggs and flowers and that kind of stuff for people who want to add those to their weekly box. Okay. And every week, it's the same for everyone, but they they show up and they call us and give us our name. And one of our staffer volunteers runs out a box of their allotment for the week. It's a assortment of Washington State produce and a couple other value-added products that they purchase them from the market. Things like honey and cheese and eggs, that kind of stuff. And so you just pay for that up front and then you get it every week for 20 weeks at the market. That's, that's, yeah, wow. it's a cool program. Very cool. It's really great too for farmers because as you can imagine, the big part of a farmer's market is you do all this work to build up your display and to harvest stuff. Once it's out of the ground, you got to sell it or throw it away. And so right. it's great that they know that like, if we're doing like this year, we're probably do over a hundred boxes, a hundred, hundred subscriptions. And it's great. To, you know, we're obviously going to, you know, it's great to know that, you know, this one farm is going to be like, I'm going to sell a hundred bunches of um, radishes. radishes this week. Right. Yeah. Which is, that's just a guaranteed sale for him. That's money in, a, in the bank. He can, he can pull mm-hmm. it out of the ground and drop it in a box and take it right to us. He doesn't have to worry about putting it in the sun or trying to hope this customer will buy it. He's got a guaranteed sale happening at the market that week. So uh, to respect your time, we'll wrap this up. Yeah. I could, could talk to you for a long time. Yeah. So let me ask you a couple of questions and then I want to ask you something about yourself. So what do you see? I mean, it's hard to predict with, hmm. with, with COVID or whatever we want to call it, but you know, what do you see in the near future for the market? What, what, what do you think is on the horizon? A lot of interesting things are on the horizon for us. So we are going to be facing some continued pressure just to get the negative stuff out of the way up front from a, a rapidly growing city that is going to start squeezing us from a real estate and just occupancy perspective. And so we've got to, we've got to sort of address that and find some solutions there. Those, that's the big challenge we're facing in the next couple of years. We're also facing a real desire from our community and from some of our vendors and hopefully a few more this year to go year round. Right now we're March through December. We're hoping that by 2023 we'll be 12 months out of the year. Um, During the off season, like during the December, you know, November, December, January, February, we'd just be like one day a week instead of two. And then we'll go back to sort of a more full market during our peak season. Okay. So I think you're going to see in the future, we're going to see a year-round market. We're probably going to see at least one more midweek market. So we're hoping to have at least four selling days a week offered throughout our city. Um, and then we've got a couple of fun projects on the way. I'd really like to find a way to get the market either off of a city street or into a more like formal space, potentially even a covered space uh, that would allow it to operate on a year-round basis a little more easily for customers and uh, vendors. Okay. And then there is an area of... Sort of the most exciting area to me of our city is, is a it's, it's it's a it's on a it's on a place called Fourth Plain Boulevard, which is a um, a fascinating sector of our community in that it is it's largely sort of the Latinx and um, Asian American and other sort of BIPOC communities um, neighborhoods, not exclusively, but that's a large part of this. It's sort of a long narrow corridor. Mm-hmm. It's there's also this as a side this interesting thing in Washington state called the cottage food law permits. So if you want to sell like a packaged food or a, you know something like that, traditionally you need to go through like a you need to go through like a health department process of getting your kitchen, going to a commercial kitchen, and going to this whole formal expensive process. This allows you, if you're a micro business, to do like up to fifty thousand dollars of sales out of your home if you get your home kitchen certified. So okay. it's this interesting thing. Well, so that's this is an opportunity for young, you know, small entrepreneurs to kind of just get started, dip their toe in the water. Fourth Plain has the highest percentage of cottage food law um, permits per capita in our region. So all of these people wow. have this this entrepreneurship around food in this region. 
we would like to see an international market there that's for that community run by that community that really supports what they're doing. So there's some city initiatives happening there to really sort of invigorate and support that community um, in a way that sort of honors them. And we want to be part of that. So I think we're hoping to have an international market um, wow. in that area in the future. So there's a lot of fun things happening for us. All right. So let's talk about you. What do you want you, to you've mentioned, you mentioned that, you grew up, did you, you grew up in Vancouver? Area? I did. I was actually born right up the street from my office. <laughs> moved okay. away, moved away for a while. And then I sort of have landed back here as an adult. So, uh, from a career path, how did, how does one end up in farmer's market? Yeah. Never on employment. purpose. I'll tell you that right now. Um, okay. no one does. Um, it's really no, interesting. I- it's a really interesting career path. Um, it's an interesting season, but uh, in my life, but I my my career path is interesting. I um, in short, I went to WSU, um, and I'm so I'm a cougar, and I studied history and business. Got two degrees there, and so um, I was really interested in working in business, and specifically entrepreneurship was my focus. So after college, I got a job in finance, um, working with small businesses like angel investors, doing business plans and operations for our investments. So I worked with a lot of mm-hmm. startups. Um, okay. Interesting enough, some in the agriculture and food sector, but also in the manufacturing and some some basic tech, um, nothing super high tech, but a lot of manufacturing technology. And so I got into that kind of sector for a while. And but that was during the recession and things were pretty rough. And so couldn't get a steady paycheck and ended up getting laid off and everyone was losing jobs and no one was investing at the time. And so I went from there into the fire service. And so I became a firefighter and an EMT. And oh, I, okay. I was a firefighter and EMT for actually 15 years. Worked for the Forest Service for a while as a wildland firefighter. And then I was in, a, in here in town at a structural fire department and worked on an ambulance. And I did that for a long time. Um, it, it was thought that it was the career I wanted and I just didn't ever, I never really enjoyed it that much. Um, it was okay. fine, but got a little boring to be perfectly honest with you. Um, kind of, kind of wrote. And so I was working for the city of Washougal, a small city east of here, um, working in their city manager's office, doing some downtown development work, um, working and I one of the jobs I had there was working with the farmer's market, running the farmer's market, in addition to some other programs. And as that job was kind of coming to an end, uh, Vancouver reached out to me and wanted me to come work here. Um, and I said no, uh, because I didn't want to work in a farmer's market. I wanted, I didn't want to have weekends. I didn't want to work weekends. I didn't want the six in the morning, you know, wake up, you know, having to be at the market all the day at time. And so I said, no, and they said, okay. And I kept looking for a new job and nothing came up. So they came back again and I was like, well, I'll come talk to you. And I ended up taking a 30 day job here on a contract to do some operations work for them. It was a really small organization at the time. It was definitely the largest market still in the area, but struggling in some ways, with a lot of internal problems. And so addressed some operational things. And then, um, through a lot of internal drama, this, a lot of farmers markets have drama out there. The staff was no longer employed here except for myself. And I became sort of the only, the lone manager left at the market. And so I stuck around to kind of help them transition. And I was like, yeah, I'll stick around and help you guys transition to a new leadership team. And it turns out that I was that new leadership team and well, it started with <laughs> me and one part-time employee. Now we're up to 14 and wow, so okay. just been growing the business ever since. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting thing. It, um, it's, I'm not a farm. I'm not your traditional farmer's market manager, I guess, whatever that means. Um, nor do I have a long history of working in the food sector or working like in the farm and food justice world. Like a lot of people, that is a career path. That a lot of people pursue. That's not where, what got me here. 
mm-hmm. my passion around this has been around being really passionate about vibrant, strong communities. Part of my growing up time was spent in Asia and living in Barcelona. And oh. I've traveled extensively throughout Europe, um, a little bit in Asia, but definitely throughout Europe. And I mean, it's when Howard Schultz tells the story of going to Italy, sort of gave him sort of the the impetus behind starting the Starbucks, sort of that idea of like a cafe culture. Um, mm-hmm. I actually really understand the impetus behind it. I really get that, right? Because I spent a lot of time in, in parts of Italy and parts of, I mean, all over Europe, actually, shopping at markets and seeing the okay. value of communities who gather daily at their local market, supporting local makers, local producers, eating together as a friends and family and like the culture that's part of that. I'm really passionate about vibrant cities and vibrant communities and vibrant public spaces. The markets gives me a chance to dabble in that. And I'm really passionate about entrepreneurship and I love seeing people pursue their dreams and create something from nothing and support their families. And the market has been able to allow me to sort of work in both of those sectors and sort of support those two things, which is something I'm pretty passionate about. That's, that's wonderful. So I typically ask my guests this question and I didn't know if I would ask it of you, but I'm going okay. to. <laughs> you obviously er, earlier, you mentioned cinnamon roll, black coffee. So we're going to get along just fine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm, I love coffee. Yeah, me too. I, I, me too. I love coffee. So tell me a place in Vancouver that I need to go to check out for coffee. I know I'm putting you on the spot. You can tell me more than one. I'll I'll take more than one. I can give you three. Um, Perfect. Our neighbor to here about the market is a place called Cafe X Coffee. Great local roaster. The two places, I, and I go there on definitely um, frequently, but the two places I go a lot that I just have good connections with are a place called Relevant Coffee. is a really phenomenal roaster here in Vancouver. Um, very likely you might be able to get his beans. He's starting to distribute. So I wouldn't surprise me if you can find his beans in the Natchee area. Um, had them before. Yeah. You had relevant before. <laughs> yeah, did you like yeah. it? Was it okay? I did. Yeah. I did. He's a good job. Yes. And a new guy who's, he's been around roasting sort of under the radar and it's just opened a shop a few months ago here in Vancouver is the guy, a business by the name of terrain coffee okay. and new young business owners, this guy named Marty. And it's really really special stuff. He's doing a really, really good job. He's working directly with a lot of farmers. Um, actually all three of these, these coffee roasters, like know and work with there in South America, buying beans and knowing local farmers in that area. So it's pretty great. The first one, say that name again. Cafe X, Coffee X is K F I E X. I can never pronounce that. I went there. Have you had it? I've been there. Yeah. And she, baby with the owner is from Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talk to her. And she did a siphon press for me yeah, with the halogen light for the heat source. And it was like, it was like some steampunk looking coffee. It's a great way to make coffee. Uh, It's a great way to make coffee. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a nice shop that she has. I've been there. Second location on our new waterfront. So they have, uh, Oh yeah. They have two locations in Vancouver now. They're doing great. That's great. All three of those guys are sort of hitting different segments of our population Mm -hmm. and they're just doing a great job. That's that's wonderful. Coffee and breweries are really taken off in Vancouver. Okay, time. yeah i I don't drink beer anymore because it just doesn't like me. I can have one, and it feels like I had yeah. one I don't too understand many. Understand because i I am single handedly keeping our industry afloat here in Vancouver. Okay, good for I, you. Well, yeah, so you so, got to do what you got to do. You got to support. You I know. know. I feel. I feel that you're you're falling on your sword to help help the community. But let's let's really quick. Yeah. 
give me a couple of breweries. What's going on in the oh, breweries? Man, so many good breweries. Um, the the one I just love the most is a brewery called Fortside in Vancouver. Fortside, okay. um, it's sort of in central Vancouver, out of our downtown. Fort being Fort Vancouver, sort of a famous yep. historical fort downtown yep. Vancouver and a great national park here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of amazing breweries in Vancouver, but he is doing really creative stuff. He's got a whole line of, of um, beers now that he is, instead of using commercial yeast, he's harvesting wild yeast from organic wine grapes and then and then propagating that to use in his beer making process. So he's doing some really fun beers, especially sours cool. with wildly okay. wild, wild harvested organic you know yeast from different grapes he just All continues right. to produce like really profound really unique he's really focused like on like that. a high quality guy there's also a couple great ones like i mean you know um trapdoor brewing and lewitt downtown are both like classic downtown breweries are doing a great job with like what you know west and east coast ipas um mm-hmm. and then what we're seeing right now an emerging trend in the region which i think is we're going to see in the beer scene is a uh, victor 23 is like my neighborhood bar it's my neighborhood brewery it's a really fun one victor 23 is the route that db cooper's flight took um <laughs> it's, a, it's a db cooper themed brewery i love which it is really fun um yeah. I, my history my hit my thesis uh my graduate thesis for my history degree was on db cooper and so um sort of like the history of criminals as social heroes and um, so it's a DB Cooper theme <sighs> bar, great beer. But what it is, interestingly, is it's in a neighborhood. It's a small spot in the neighborhood. And there's this emerging trend in our city and in Portland as well, where the places to be, the really fun spots are truly neighborhood bars. The idea there is okay. like people know you, you're walking to it. It's serving mm-hmm. the people in that community. It's not, they're not distributing a ton. It's not a tourist destination. It's not giant. It's not something that was going to feed a whole mm-hmm. crowd. But just great local food, good local beer. It's just a spot to gather with your friends. And that's where a lot of stuff goes down here in Vancouver. So we have a number of those around our town. I'm a big fan of like that smaller communal that's, feel. So That's yeah. awesome. All right. Last question. Great. What didn't I ask you that I should have? Great question. I always ask this to job interview candidates. It's a hard one to be on the receiving end of. <laughs> What didn't you ask me? You know, we did a pretty good job about this. I just think like, I just, I think if there's one thing that I really like to share about farmer's markets, I think is often forgotten. It's like, you know, when people look at a farmer's market, regardless of where it's at, they see a couple, you know, vinyl tents and um, that are popped up and they see, you know, some folks selling vegetables or products and that's that's really what they see that's all they see what's what what i think is we need to do a better job of telling the story of both locally and nationally is that there is really thriving business taking place here and there is millions and millions of dollars moving through washington state farmers markets i mean probably over 100 million dollars moving through washington state farmers markets every year when you think about it and mm-hmm. um maybe even more. And nationally, it's a, it's, it's a pretty big industry. It's supporting small farms that just do not have, are really struggling right now as the land prices are going up, distribution models are changing. It's really hurting small American farms, small local makers. And markets are just, I just feel like they are so vital for creating a vibrant way for small businesses to connect with customers. And 
I think many people are like, oh, yeah, it's just a little market. They're, we always get to say, I just move it a few blocks. It's in the way. Or, oh, just put your move your tents tomorrow and put them here. And I don't realize like we're really like a, a, to, to have a really long term successful market requires a long term commitment. And there's just some vibrant, cool things happening at these places. We need to do a better job of telling that story and continue to reiterate that story to people because we're sort of understated. Our farmers in general are bad at storytelling. <laughs> we're kind of just like yeah. we're we're quiet hardworking people who just want to sort of do that. Right. And mm-hmm. I respect that. But at the same time, I, I see farmers markets all over sort of getting shoved around and pushed around by more pressing interest, if you will, um, of, of the powers that be. And I just continue to think like, you guys don't realize how valuable the things are that are taking place here. And some of them are quantifiable and some of them are intangible, but regardless, like they are extremely important and they are not built overnight. And so these things take long-term growth and and they take lots of TLC to keep them going. And um, I just think that communities are better um, for them. Well said. Thank you. And I, I, I think it's on that we will close and I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to sit down with me today and share the story. Likewise, Scott, I appreciate your time. and uh, I want to check out that DB Cooper bar, but yeah, yeah. actually, we come to town. We'll go to the, We'll check it out. I that that sounds like a cool theme. I mean, but but your market. I before we talked, I had no idea that the mar- your mar- the Vancouver market was as large mm. as it is, and um, I hope you get a chance. I'm, yeah, I hope you get a chance to to talk to a few other markets in the state. Um, I think people, it's really important work you're doing here. I think people would really be surprised at the idea that farmers markets are not just a few guys who pop up tents on the weekends and then go home, but there's a whole industry taking place behind the scenes and it's supporting a lot of things in our community, not just the farmer. There's, there's a lot of stuff happening at these markets. It's, it's pretty cool. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Scott. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.